0: Well, hello, Bible love. So glad that you are with us in this very special series that I am doing this summer. Women in ministry have a fantastic guest for you um, this week. But before we do that, I want to continue our prayer of St. Francis. I've actually had a couple people tell me they've used this prayer in prayer circles that they are involved in from listening to the podcast. So I'm glad it's catching on to a couple people. So the Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Eternal one, make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred Let me sow love where there is injury, pardon, where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Well, listeners... I love it when we bring a guest back. So the Reverend Sarah Audrey Graves is no stranger to the Bible Love Podcast, and she's no stranger to my wife. She is one of my dearest, dearest friends, um, and I am so glad that she is with us. She is the Associate Rector of... St. Paul's and Winston Salem. She what did we talk about? It was a while ago, Sarah. Do you remember? Was it early on? Like I
1: was one of the first guests we yeah. were in way back in Exodus. Remember Exodus? Exodus.
0: That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. And right. you know you're not done with the Bible Love podcast, right? Like oh, I definitely want to come back. Be on it a lot. But I when I was thinking about this women in ministry um series, I really wanted Sarah. To be on um, the podcast for a couple of reasons. First of all, we were just talking about this. um, The church has good and bad things, but one of the really beautiful things that um, has come from the church for me in my life is my friendship with Sarah. Now, sometimes, like when you're in you know, a little bit later in life in your 30s, or 40, not later in life, but 30s and 40s, I feel like sometimes it's harder to like make really good friends, right? Because you've had those that you've known your whole life and you're like, I guess those are all my friends. But that's not the case for Sarah and I. We were both serving in the Diocese of North Carolina, both female priests and as associates and sort of just gravitated to each other. And before I knew it, we were, you know, pottery shopping and going out to eat together and spending time together all the time. We've traveled together, all those good things. And now we have an intentional conversation once a month. If you can do that in your life, friends, people that don't live in the same town, I recommend it. This a uh, just intentional time. So I Sarah has this wonderful story of ministry, and I wanted her to share that, but I also just Love her and wanted her to be a part of
1: this. So, Sarah, welcome. Thank Audrey. you. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. I, I just enjoy so much that you, you draw together all these really wonderful leaders from the church and all these different parts of your life that, that really tell a, a wonderful story. Um, and I'm really thrilled to get to be a part of that story. Um, where's Chevy in? Well, Sarah,
0: you tell us where you want to begin, but I um, think that it would be very interesting for people to understand a little bit of your background and how you grew up, which is not in the Episcopal Church. You know, I don't know if listeners, I hope you listen to the one with my mom. She grew up in the Baptist Church. I always find it interesting how people sort of gravitate to the Episcopal Church. And not only are you a member of the Episcopal Church, you're an ordained person in the Episcopal Church. So talk about that a little bit, Sarah.
1: Yeah, so I grew up outside of Columbia, South Carolina in Irmo. Um, and I'm the oldest of four girls in my family. Um, and I was always taught that uh, my parents always taught me and my sisters that we could grow up and we could be anything. We could, it, it never Crossed my mind that I couldn't go and do something. And so I, I was always into church. I grew up in one of the largest, I think it's the largest um, Methodist church, United Methodist Church in um, the South Carolina Conference uh, Union in Irma. Um 2,500 members at the time, and and, um, and I just loved church. I just loved. I, I signed up for everything that I could do. I sang in the choir. I played handbells. I was in youth group. I did Girl Scouts. I did all the things. Um you
0: were a church nerd from the very beginning. So. I was
1: absolutely a church nerd. And I, you know, I I have my mom really to kind of credit for that because she always took us to church, but she always taught us that like community involvement was really important. Like we we were we were the ones that would show up and and um and do the food pantry or we would volunteer and um I I volunteered at the library and did lots of like community you know, things through the summer. And I'm, I'm sure she taught us this um, because she wanted us to grow up to be good people, but um, I'm sure it was also like, she just needed to get four kids out of the house yes. in the summer. We're going to go to the food pantry. I can't deal with y'all. Um, <laughs> anyway. But we, we were always really active in our church. And I remember sitting in the pew and feeling, um, like there was, when I watched people preach, it was always men preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I always felt like I had. Things I wanted to say, and some of this comes from hearing bad sermons, some of this comes from hearing good sermons and being inspired. But some of this was like hearing someone who was not doing a good job and just being like, I could do that better. Like, I want to I want to get up there and, and say what is true about God and true about the church um, in a way that really touches people and connects with people. Um, so the, my first sense of call was about preaching. It was about being in the pulpit and having a thing to say. It never occurred to me to be, um, scared or anxious about public speaking. I know a lot of people are not into that. Um, and it just, it was always a part of, from, from a young age, like I was always just, um, comfortable speaking in front of other people.
0: Sarah, like can I interrupt you and ask you a question or say something about that? I think that is so interesting that that's where you felt your first call in preaching. like for me, preaching is like the last thing I want to do you know? <sighs> but I think it I think it is like a good note to talk about because we are all and you have many more gifts than preaching, of course, but we all like are drawn in some way right to God, to the church. And you, I think it's just, I have to say, like, you, your voice is what drew you. you, wanting to use your voice, which is exactly what this series is about, you know, lifting up women's voices. So I'm just, I don't know if I've ever known that part of your story. So I'm just really grateful to, I just wanted to say that I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and understanding how preaching works that like, you have a voice in the pulpit and I have a voice in the pulpit that are very different. Like we, we are, very we're so similar. We, we get along so well. And yet we are just going to see things differently. We're also going to bring parts of our experience, parts of, um, you know, how other people see us and project things onto us. And mm-hmm. all of those things are folded in to, um, into a sermon in a really rich and beautiful way. And, you know, when, people listen to sermons, it's not just, um, an experience, even though there are published books of sermons and things like that, like there, there are so many ways that sermons are an alive thing. Like they, they are in that moment, that day, that time, um, an expression of the community that's in the room with you. And so it's, it's just this really kind of like powerful thing to say, um, I want to stand up and say something. Mm-hmm. And to me it 's I, I often talk about the um, the baptismal covenant we have that that one petition in the baptismal covenant that's um, we will proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ, and everybody is called to proclaim everybody is called to be a preacher in some way um, they 're just those of us who stand up, whether lay leaders or ordained people who stand in pulpits and write sermons. Um, everybody lives a sermon through their life and they have, we all have a responsibility to just say it out loud in some way, shape or form. Um, and we usually don't know quite what to do with that petition in the baptismal covenant. Like we're really good at the stuff about like, you know, love your neighbor and, you know, respect the dignity of every human being and like that, that we can latch onto that better than we can proclamation. I totally agree. Um, Anyway. Uh, but I, um, yeah, I'd, so I felt a call to ordain ministry specifically when I was about a senior in high school. Um, I really saw myself as, as um, you know, interested in, in that kind of work pretty early on. Um, did you know
0: any other women ministers in, when you were a senior in high school?
1: I did not, actually. Let me, let me think. Um, I, I, I
0: still, you could do anything you wanted. Mm -hmm. And you knew that was something. I was just wondering if you had had like a vision of, you know, or being able to see someone else.
1: Yeah. I, I never really had all of the, the people who were our pastors growing up were men. Um, Mm -hmm. and they were wonderful, wonderful people. Um, but I, I don't, I did not have an experience of, a woman pastor until I went to college and there was, there were a couple of women who were at, um, I went to Appalachian and at Boone United Methodist church where I went. Sometimes um, there were a couple of women who are pastors there. So I really didn't, I, I didn't have a um, a person, but I had and phenomenal women in my life. I had my mom, I had, um, you know, all of these lay leaders at church that um, taught us and, and I just, I just believe so. Like my, you know, mom. My mom said, "Like you can grow up and be anything." I just believed her. I just was like, "Okay, well then, good," because I'm going to do this. Um, and anyway, I, I went to Appalachian, and um, and I had a really kind of rough time in college. I never really um, enjoyed college the way that people usually say that they do. Um, it, it was really hard to have friends and, you know, you started out this conversation saying, you know, in our thirties and forties, we have a hard time making new friends. That was me in college. Like I, I just never really got a sense of like, where is my group? Um, but when I, uh, had my summers in college, I worked at Asbury Hills Camp and retreat center, which is sort of North of Greenville, South Carolina, um, in the mountains, sort of mountains (laughs) of South Carolina, um, (laughs)
0: whatever.
1: Um, and, uh, those summers, I was a part of a team of people who were interested in ministry. And I was like, these are my people. Like they, we get each other. We, um, you know, we can laugh together. We can be, we can trust each other. And I found that, to be a lot more authentic than the groups of people that I'd hang out with in college that, that were less interested in like really authentic community. Yeah. Um, and so during those summers, I really learned about the ordination process because there were a lot of people, my um, peers in ministry there were all, in the same kind of track of just discerning, maybe I'll go to seminary. Maybe I'll go to, and a lot of, a lot of guys that went to Wofford, there were like five or six Wofford guys. And like, that's the, that's the South Carolina Methodist way is you go to Wofford and then you go to seminary and then you get ordained and serve a Methodist church somewhere in North, in South Carolina. Um, and, and so a lot of that, like kind of being in a group of people who were doing that work. Um, and so as soon as I graduated from app, I um, applied and got into Duke Divinity School and went there and had the best three years of my life.
0: And your intention was to become an ordained Methodist minister. That was what... I actually
1: started the discernment process my senior year of college. So I was already about like, if the Methodist process is about 12 steps to full ordination, I was at about like step four or five. Um, I was a certified candidate at that stage. So... um, I was pretty much like on the track uh, to be ordained and uh, went through my three years in seminary at Duke Divinity School. And it was a really wonderful place. It's a really rich place to be a part of a Divinity School, which is different from a seminary. Divinity School is all different denominations together. And you and- to-
0: Oh, I bet, Sarah, like because you love ministry and that's what divinity school
1: is about is yeah it's just a full immersion with you know a a really intensive experience in learning and academics as well as um you're you're part of a a group of people that are all doing the same thing together it's just really rich
0: um i I interrupted you and i want you to go back i'm sorry tell the difference between a divinity school and a seminary i went to a seminary right you went to a divinity school so tell the difference for people that don't know that
1: so in a divinity school, it is a theological education for people from all different denominations. And Duke Divinity School is also a United Methodist seminary for United Methodist people. And it's one of a dozen or so in the country. Um, but it's also a divinity school in that they encourage and recruit actively and have different houses of ministry for different, um, denominations. Like there's a Baptist house of studies. There's, you know, the Episcopal, um, now the Anglican studies department. That's a part of Duke. And, um, and so you, you were in classes with people who are, you know, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different ways of talking about Jesus. That um, very Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it made it very rich.
0: As opposed to me, where it's all Episcopalians. All well,
1: Episcopalians.
0: Okay. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I did kind of miss that. I mean, I missed that opportunity to be in conversation with people of all other denominations. You know, I mean, y'all were probably arguing about which one is the best denomination, where we were arguing <laughs> about who had the best bishop. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's right. So- yeah. Okay, so you went to Duke Divinity School and you had a fantastic experience.
1: Fantastic experience, but also was very restless um, at times with the Methodist Church. I found myself really fed by the the way that Duke um, teaches theology, the way that uh, we kind of were formed as a community, and yet the um, Methodist churches that I was serving over the summers were very different places than, than, um, Duke was kind of setting us up to serve. Um, I, around that time I met my husband, uh, and we started dating and, um, he had just become an Episcopalian after growing up Baptist and was very, very Baptist. His family's all Baptist. His dad's a Baptist pastor. And, um, You know, it was just sort of seeing what it was like to join a new church and to be fed by a new tradition. And that really affected me. Um, I loved going to this service that um, Mark was confirmed in uh, Chapel Hill at Chapel of the Cross in Chapel Hill. And I would go to this service that he was a part of. And eventually I joined in leadership and being a part of it, too, uh, Sung Copland which is not something that United Methodists do, but it's a it's a late night service of prayer. And uh, they would turn out all the lights and put candles everywhere in the nave. And people would just come in. It was a lot of people who were students at UNC Chapel Hill that would just come in from class or from... Um, you know, social stuff on Sunday nights and sit in the pews and you just listen to the choir sing the whole service. You didn't participate. You didn't sing a hymn yourself. You just kind of let the liturgy wash over you. And it was so wonderful. It was just like, I, I felt like I was a part of something that was very, very old and very sacred and very mysterious and um, it just sung Compline fed both of us and Mark and I have found every opportunity that we can to uh, recreate that experience in churches that we've served since and so he and I got married and I we were not really prepared for getting married uh, <laughs> like nobody is but um, <laughs> we, the, the thing that we were most unprepared about is that we hadn't really figured out what we wanted to do in yeah. life and um I had taken a class with um, Bishop Curry taught a class at Duke uh, called the Mission of the Church in the World and uh, so we knew him from class and he came to the Episcopal Center to do his visitation and we grabbed him at the dinner after it was over and we were like Bishop, Bishop Curry, we, um, we don't have jobs. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing with our life. do you I love have it. It? do you like what is available in the diocese of North Carolina, because we're just, we need something to to do immediately. And he was like, you know, Mark, you're an organist, Sarah, you're a youth minister. You've done a lot of youth ministry. We can use you. And we were like, thank you. That's so nice of you to say, thinking that it was just going to be, that was it. He was just going to affirm us and let us go. The next day he called us with job offers
0: that's amazing,
1: yeah, yeah like, he, he set it up so i um I became the um i mean I interviewed and and went through a formation process with them, but uh was the youth minister for Good Shepherd Episcopal Church in Raleigh, downtown Raleigh, and Mark was the organist for St Mark's Episcopal Church in Raleigh, and we were there for a couple of years. And we eventually, Mark found a, a, um, a job in Western North Carolina. So we moved to Tryon and while we were in Tryon, I I was kind of just in the pew and still sort of like I'm Methodist. And I, I went through the ordination process and had, um, had gotten commissioned as a, as a deacon and was still just so restless with my tradition, just was not really fed by it. Um, and I, my, uh, the rector of Mark's church, Michael Doty was like, you need to come and meet the Bishop of Western North Carolina. Like you need to think about becoming an Episcopalian and becoming an Episcopal priest, because I see it in you. And I think that like, much like how Bishop Curry said to us, we can use you. That's the, that was the attitude. It was like, we see gifts in you and we want to put those gifts to work like right now. So Michael and I, went up to Asheville and met Porter Taylor, who was the bishop. He's now retired of Western North Carolina. And it was the same experience that we had had with Michael Curry, where uh, Bishop Porter was just like, we can use you. And I, I see these gifts in you and let's make this happen. So Amazing. I it was just sort of one of those like God moments of everything. Well, coming together. I was about to
0: say, as my mom would say, all the doors opened, right? Yeah. And y'all just walked right through them. We just walked
1: right through them. Yeah. And um, the hardest thing about my formation process was um, I went back to seminary. And uh, at this time I went to a seminary, not a divinity school, uh, at Sewanee. And um, was there for two semesters to do an Anglican Studies certificate. And it was basically just to do the coursework that I had missed doing all my Methodist stuff. And when we... um, Had to do that. Mark kept his job in Triumph, stayed in Western North Carolina, and I lived in Tennessee for about eight months. And we'd see each other on the weekends and stuff, but it was so hard. It was such a like stretching time. Um, the community at Sewanee was wonderful. The classes were wonderful. I had, I still have so many uh, relationships from that year. Um, but it was, it was so hard. It was just like such a sacrifice. And I felt, and I feel this way now in talking to people who are considering ordination and, considering the sacrifices of the formation process. I feel like that sacrifice actually was a big part of. Absolutely. Um, like it, it made it count and it really meant something that, um, like it cost me something and it, and it shouldn't cost you everything. It shouldn't cost you like your livelihood or like so many people who have to deal with, um, you know, the ups and downs of being away from family or, you know, taking on student loan debt. And it it just, it shouldn't cost you everything, but it it should cost you something, um, and that that's what it cost me was was being apart from Mark. Well, and I
0: love that you say that because you know being a follower of Jesus is not always easy, you know, and it's it and it is uh, sometimes we get in places that make us uncomfortable and cost us something. That's right, you know, and and so I love your thought about it. As hard as it was. It was, I needed to have it something cost me, you know? And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, Sarah, in the interest of time, um, because I could sit here and listen to this beautiful story forever, you did eventually get ordained into the Episcopal Church. Not eventually, but it got ordained into the the that church. year. Yeah. Thank God you served a church in Western North Carolina. And then for the past, how many years have you been at St. Paul's? Um,
1: at St. Paul's, I've been uh, almost seven years. I've, it's been 12 years since I was ordained. I was years
0: ordained ministry. Went fantastic. Yeah. And, um, but one thing I, I did want to make sure we really talked about, and we talked about this a little bit before, is I think it's important to talk about some of the hard and, you know, things about being a female priest. Yeah. You know, and that's different than being a male priest. Um, could you maybe give us one or two things that sometimes you've Feel or understand, and and I will say everything Sarah says. I've had this happen to me too. So <laughs> that's why we're so bonded because we're like, can you believe that happened? Yeah, uh, yeah. Talk about some of those things.
1: Well, it. I think anyone who is in leadership, male or female um, or non-binary, um, are it's thrown into a, a, a situation where you are seen uh, in the least flattering light sometimes, but you, you are seen in a way that, that you can't really control. Like people will, um, project all kinds of things onto you that you're not anticipating at all. Um, and I, and I, and I want to be very fair that this happens to men in different ways, but for, for women, um, you know, we, we like to, to see, the Episcopal church is a pretty progressive place because we've been ordaining women since the seventies. We have, um, we have had a female presiding bishop. We have women bishops that are um, serving all throughout the country. Like we're used to female leadership and (laughs) there's a lot of discrimination and a lot of kind of microaggression kind of stuff that, that women in leadership endure. Um, and we were talking before we started the recording about all these kind of funny things that happen, you know, people commenting on the way you dress and the way you look and when you get a haircut and when you, um, I, I, of, I was saying about my, um, cause people come up and receive communion up at the altar and they're kneeling and they see your feet. Um, and if I wear open-toed shoes, people will, at the church door will comment on my pedicure. Um, and not if- about
0: the most fabulous sermon you've ever preached, but about your pedicure. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, we we didn't hear anything about Jesus, but I love 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 that color you picked on color your t- toes. Okay, <laughs> and it's and it's, it comes into into play. Uh, when you are trying to do something hard, when you are seen as, uh, the bad guy, and both men and women have to do this in leadership all the time, where you have to make a tough decision, and, um, and you're seen as, as heartless, or as a jerk, uh, which is a nice way of saying mm-hmm. other bad words that are said mm-hmm. about women, and that, that you are, um, words like, like she's so harsh or she's so shrill or she's, you know, those are not words that are usually said about men when they have to make hard decisions. Um, and, and this is just something that we live all the time. Um, it's, it's not, um, pretty and it's not comfortable. It's also just something that you kind of throw up your hands and say, okay, I'm just got to just gotta deal with this, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, on the other side, like, I love that what your mom said, that you could be anything. Like, and Sarah and I have talked about this a good different times. Like, we also want to be who we are, you know, whether that's getting our toenails painted or I color my hair or whatever that is. I want to live into who I am as a female, you know, and the clothes that make me feel good and that kind of thing. But I also want the little girls in my church to look up and be like, I can do that too if God calls me in that way. Whether it's a priest or a Eucharistic minister or a reader, whatever it is, I want them to feel that confidence. Yeah. Because you and I did not have to go through what some of the older priests in um did, you know, not knowing if they would be ordained or whatever. But what you and I didn't see was women priests. We didn't see examples of that. And so now I want us to be examples. We can show that to the next generation, which is, you know, a wonderful thing. Um, but it is hard. It's, it is not, um, you know, it's not, um, we don't want a man bash, but I think that we do feel, that we do have to understand and accept things in a different way, right? Um, I don't know anybody that would comment on a man's, you know, Outfit or whatever, you know, or oh, you cut your hair, you know. I mean, it just doesn't happen as much. And I've learned, like you just said, it's just what it is. And I can sit here and be mad about it, or I can just, you know, say, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> next time you'll hear something about Jesus, and that, <laughs> you
1: know, and that's so- right. That's right. And for all of the ways that, that we, we face discrimination, we face our voices being shut down, like in a meeting or in um, a leadership situation. There are so many situations where I feel, um, like my voice as a woman and and the way that I embody leadership as a woman is really welcomed. There's ways that I can speak about the women of the Bible in, in a way that, that helps it come alive for people. And I have been, I have been a hospital chaplain and been also in parish ministry, visiting people in the hospital. And I can walk right into a room um, where, where people are, having babies and, um, you know, in the NICU where, where babies are in a fragile, fragile place. And I can come in with a feminine energy that is really welcomed and really needed. And, um, you know, I, I have been able to be with, you know, um, Teenagers, teenage girls who are, are struggling with whether or not a boy likes me, or, or you know, some of the things that happen as you're growing up that are that are challenging and mysterious and hard, and and as a pastor, I, I can access that point that a man couldn't, and that there's there's something wonderfully liberating about claiming your femininity in leadership and and saying this has power too.
0: Um, I totally agree. I was telling Sarah, I've walked recently with a few people that have had um, some breast cancer scares. And I think that there's something about that, that I can like, they're just so much more comfortable with me, I think, because I have breast. I understand, you know, and, and, um, and the same thing with when I've gone and blessed babies and, you know, I have the a woman's body, you know, and I understand. And, and I think, not that men are not loving, but there's just something about being able to walk into that um, hospital room when someone's dying and kiss them and not feel funny about that mm-hmm. because you're a female and there's something, I don't know, okay about that. Kiss them on the head and say, I love you and God loves you and good job, faithful servant. You know, um, I, I never saw my dad kiss anybody, you know, <laughs> uh, And I love to do that, you know, and share that love in that way. And I think there is that femininity that's just a joy. So thank you for sharing that. Sarah, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I love um, whenever voices can be lifted up, but particularly women, because I think we do have a lot to give to the world. And I want um, those voices to share, be shared. And you certainly have that. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for loving God and me and all the people in your life. Thank you for pastoring to so many. And
1: I remember would say the same of you, Mary Balfour. You you are such a wonderful pastor, and this podcast is such a ministry to so many people. I, I hope that there's someone out there who's listening to this who's considering a call to ministry and thinking about you know, all of the things that, that make up their story, all the events and people that have led them along the way and, and considering how all of those things fold in together and paying attention to where the doors open. Um, they, they have opened for me, they've opened for you, and they will continue to open for for people out there. So, yeah, I'm so glad you said that.
0: And if you are, call Sarah and I. We'd love to talk through what that feels like. And, you know, listen, I shouldn't sign you up, Sarah, but I'll sign myself up because I think that's important, you know, to feel like you have a safe space to talk. and, And this is what we hope this podcast does. So thank you again, Sarah. Listeners, remember, we love you, but most importantly, God does.